All right, come on in, grab a seat. Uh, so grateful you are with us today. Thanks for taking some time out of your weekend, especially if it's your first time, maybe your uh, first time in a long time. Welcome to University Church. Thanks for you uh, watching online. We've got 15 or so folks that tune in every week. Grateful to have you with us as well. Uh, a special thanks to uh, those who are here maybe for our IF gathering. We had folks come from Albuquerque down to El Paso uh, to join us for our uh, women's conference. So I want to brag on my wife just for a second. Uh, her and uh, Tristan's wife, Megan, did an incredible job this last month or so uh, putting that together. And so thank you to those ladies. It was a little creepy hearing, um, hearing our announcement guy say he had a great time at the women's conference. Uh, but I think he was here. There was a lot of college guys here helping the ladies out on Friday night as well as on Saturday. So thank you to the guys doing that. So not as creepy as it first appeared. At least I hope not. Uh, grateful that last week my favorite associate minister, my only associate minister, uh, Tristan, he did an incredible job setting up for us our new sermon series entitled Remarkable. Uh, in this series, we are talking about Tristan's infatuation with Mark Wahlberg. It's kind of an awkward thing, right? It's like an intervention. It's like, we got to stop this. Although I did love his joke, remarky markable. Nobody else laughed, but the dad's in the back. We got a kick out of that, right? That was, that was awesome. Okay, we're not talking about Mark Wahlberg. We're talking about Mark Zuckerberg. Uh, that's the series. Is it Zuckerberg? Yes. Okay, okay. No, we're talking about any Marks at all. We're talking about the book of Mark and the amazing, miraculous things that happen that are depicted for us in that gospel. As Tristan mentioned last week, when we lose our wonder, we will always lose our way. And I think that's happened for a lot of us. And so we're going through the book of Mark trying to recapture our wonder and our sense of awe. See, Mark uh, describes miracles for us, and the Bible describes miracles for us in this way. They are things that happen externally to change people internally to prepare them eternally. And we're going to see that especially here in Mark chapter 1. I'm excited to go through that with you this morning. Uh, most of us, given our location to NMSU, we've probably been in a conversation or two where someone has bragged or boasted about their educational achievements. Anybody ever been in a conversation quite like that? where They brag about their GPA or their degree program or what professor they studied under, what internship they had. Well, this is actually not a new thing. This has been around for thousands and thousands of years. Let me explain this to you. So back in the Old Testament, God raised up 70 elders. And these 70 elders were called upon to help Moses and his brother Aaron, Old Testament leaders, kind of lead the nation of Israel. And in order to kind of officiate or, or make their leadership official, if you will, they were given something called smicha. I want everybody to say that word with me, smicha. Okay, now, now I want you to say it in your best kind of Jewish Middle Eastern accent. All right, really get into it. Smicha, right? If something didn't come out of your throat, you didn't do it right. right? That's kind of how this works, okay? Smicha. They're given smicha. This is the transferring of power. This is an ordination, if you will, where ordinary people are given kind of special and unique power and authority and then kind of sent out to do a specific job, to live out a specific role or calling. And so in the story found in the book of Numbers, Moses lays his hands on the 70 elders, speaks a blessing over them, and gives them all smicha. 
And now with the smicha, with the authority of Moses, they're able to go out and kind of carry out the responsibilities that they were given. Okay, let's fast forward now to the days of Jesus. In the days of Jesus, the religious leaders were known as rabbis. Rabbis are the paid professionals, right? The preachers, the PhDs, the pastors of the day. And smicha was incredibly important to them. It was a really big deal. It started with Moses and the elders, and then it carried forth all the way to the rabbis. Smicha was one of the biggest, biggest points of emphasis for all of the rabbis that lived during Jesus' day. In fact, you could only become a rabbi if and when another rabbi gave you their smicha. Does that make sense? So they would come to you and they would bless you. They would call you out by name. They would lay their hands on you and they would say, you now can walk in the authority that I have. It was a transferring of power, if you will. You had to be given authority by someone who already had it. So, of course, you know this would happen. Rabbis would argue over smicha. Who had the most smicha? Whose smicha was better or more powerful than the other? Who gave you your smicha? How long did you have your smicha for? I just like saying the word, so I'm going to kind of say it as, as often as I possibly can. And they would openly question one another about where they received their smicha. It's in light of this that we read this in Mark 11. Listen to these words now, kind of in light of all that we just talked about. They arrived again in Jerusalem, and while Jesus was walking in the temple courts, the chief priests, the teachers of the law, the elders, the religious leaders, right, they came to him. By what authority are you doing these things, they asked. Who gave you the authority to do this? What are they asking? Who gave you your Smicha, you're just the son of a carpenter. You didn't study underneath any great rabbis. You weren't the top of your graduating class in, in Torah school. Where did you get your smicha? Where did you get the authority to do all the things that you are doing? You see, there's an old saying that says, you're only as good as your smicha. It's actually not a saying. I just made that up, and it's probably not going to catch based on your reactions. But it should be a saying, right? Because where did you get your smicha? The question of Christ's authority. Where did he get the power to do these things? That's of critical importance, is it not? Where did this rabbi receive his smicha? Because in order to have authority, someone who already had it had to gift it and give it to you. Mark 1. That's how the gospel begins. At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John the Baptist in the Jordan River. Just as Jesus was coming out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven saying this, You are my Son whom I love. With you I am well pleased. This is a critical moment in the life of Jesus because this is the moment that his public ministry begins. This is day one, if you will, of his ministry. And although we could preach an entire sermon on those two or three verses right there and all that's happening in them, I want to focus on his authority. Where did Jesus get his authority? In this moment, it's God himself, the Father, the Lord God Almighty, who anoints and appoints Jesus into ministry. The Spirit of God, it says, come down, comes down in the form of a dove. This is representative of the hand of God. So God is placing his hands on Jesus, just like Moses did with the 70 elders, just like rabbis did with all their understudies. 
And not only is he putting his hand on him, but he's also speaking a word of blessing, is he not? This is my son, with him I'm well pleased. This is the transferring of authority. This is smicha. So where in the world did you get your smicha from, Jesus? He got it directly from God. And this isn't just something that Christians believe. Jews also believe this. In rabbinic tradition, Jesus is the greatest rabbi of all time because of this reason right here. He's the only rabbi in all of human history to ever have his smicha, his authority, directly from God. No other rabbi has ever claimed to have this special and unique ability. Does this make sense? Where did you get your smicha? Who gave you the power, the ability, the authority to do all the things that you were doing? The Lord God Almighty. Now, why does all of this matter? The rest of Mark chapter 1 tells us. Jesus and his companions went to the town of Capernaum. When the Sabbath day came, he went into the synagogue and began to teach. The people were amazed at his teaching, for he taught with real smicha, unlike the teachers of religious law. Suddenly, a man in the synagogue who was possessed by an evil spirit cried out, Why are you interfering with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus reprimanded him. Be quiet. Come out of that man, he ordered. At that, the evil spirit screamed, threw the man into a convulsion, came out of him. Amazement gripped the audience, and they began to discuss what just happened. What sort of new teaching is this, they asked excitedly. It has such smicha. Even evil spirits obey his orders, and news about Jesus spread throughout the entire region of Galilee. After Jesus left the synagogue with James and John, they went to Simon and Andrew's home. Now Simon's mother-in-law was sick in bed with a high fever. They told Jesus about her right away. So he went to her bedside, took her by the hand, and helped her sit up. Then the fever left her, and she prepared a meal for them. After that, a man with leprosy came and knelt in front of Jesus, begging to be healed. If you are willing, he says, you can heal me. You can make me clean. Moved with compassion, Jesus reached out and touched him. I am willing, he said. Be healed. Instantly, the leprosy disappeared. The man was healed. Then Jesus sent him away, or sent him on his way with the stern warning. Don't tell anyone about this. Instead, go to the priest and tell him to examine you. Take along the offering required in the law of Moses for those who have been healed of leprosy. This will be a public testimony that you have been cleansed. But the man went and spread the word, proclaiming to everybody what just happened. As a result, huge crowds soon surrounded Jesus, and he couldn't publicly enter a town anywhere. He had to stay in the secluded places, but people from everywhere kept rushing to him. Mark chapter 1. Whew! Take a breath, right? I don't know about you, but Mark chapter 1 kind of looks and feels like a sports center highlight reel, doesn't it? It's like, and then this amazing thing happened, and then this amazing thing happened, and then this amazing thing happened. And that's the point, is to show us that Jesus is amazing. One miracle after another after another. First, he starts by healing a demon-possessed man. Then he turns right around, heals a woman with a dangerously high fever, and then he heals a leper. You thought you had a busy weekend. Not compared to Jesus. And although each of these healings kind of in and of themselves is incredibly important, when you take them all together, when you read them in their entirety and lump them together, as Mark is intending for us to do, There is one powerful proclamation that is made, and it is this. Christ's authority, his smicha, is unmatched, unrivaled, and unequaled. There is no authority in heaven above or earth below that is like that of Jesus Christ. Amen?
He has ultimate authority. That's what this is trying to prove to us. Each of these miracles is a direct attack on the stronghold of Satan, but it's also a bold proclamation. There's a new sheriff in town. I thought you guys could get a kick out of that here in the Wild West, right? There's a new sheriff in town. Isn't that what they say? Right? When new power, new authority comes in, it's not going to be like it used to be anymore. There's a new sheriff in town. Sin and shame and sickness and separation, they are no longer in charge. And Mark 1, at the beginning of his ministry, it says that everybody's amazed because Jesus spoke with such smicha, but then he backed it up. And all these miracles are proving that his smicha, it's unmatched, it's unrivaled, it's unequaled. Christ's authority changes things. And that's important for us to come to terms with today because our world looks very much like the world of Mark chapter 1. See, in the world of Mark chapter 1, people's lives are being ripped apart in three different ways. There are spiritual attacks, physical ailments, and relational alienation. I believe these are the three cards that Satan plays again and again and again in the lives of people to wreck their lives, to ruin their lives. See, Satan is not very creative, so he doesn't come up with new things. It's these three things again and again and again. And is our world not inundated with these three things? Is this not at the root of almost every single problem that we're facing right now? Either a spiritual attack of some sort, a physical ailment of some kind, or a relational alienation that's manifesting itself in some way. This is life. And Jesus, the beginning of his ministry, walks in and he says, I can deal with all of that. I have authority over all of that. Call me crazy, but I think a few of us in this room are dealing with one or two or three of those things on the screen. And call me crazy, but I think that a few of us in this room would love to experience a victory in one or two or three of those areas. And call me crazy, but I know a guy. I know a guy. You see, there is one who has ultimate authority over these areas. And if you want a victory in one of these three areas, then this morning we're going to cry out to Jesus. Let's talk through each of these real quick. The first First thing that Jesus does in this text is he heals a man who's possessed by a demon. Now, we aren't 100% sure how the people of the day knew this to be true. We're not sure what it looked like or how it manifested itself. Maybe it was a case of like extreme schizophrenia. Maybe this guy was talking to himself or shouting out in public or making a scene. Maybe he was like that creepy movie back in the 80s, right? Maybe he had his, his head was spinning around and he was puking green stuff out. I was going to put a picture of the Exorcist movie on there, but even Google searching that kind of gave me nightmares. All right, so... We don't know. We don't know why the people believed him to be possessed by a demon, but he was. Whatever it looked like, evil was obviously governing this man's life. He was being ripped apart from the inside out by the presence and power of evil. It was wrecking his heart, his mind, his spirit, and his body. But as soon as this evil spirit who'd been having his way with this man for maybe 30, maybe 40 years, as soon as this spirit sees Jesus and he recognizes the smicha of this rabbi. The evil spirit kind of throws a little temper tantrum, doesn't he? He knows that his time has come, that his day is over. He knows that he has finally met his match. So he cries out, why? Why are you interfering with us? It's like a three-year-old. I don't want to go to bed. Have you come to destroy me? 
I know who you are, the Holy One of God. I know where you have your authority. I know that you have ultimate dominion and power and control over everything in this universe. The evil spirit knows that his days wrecking this man's life, those days are over. And I love how Christ responds. He shushes the satanic spirit. Shh. Like you would shush a little temper tantrum out of a toddler, right? My kids watched a movie, I think it's called Vivo, and there's this moment in the movie Vivo where like one character's talking to another and it goes, bup, 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 bup. and the other character says, did you just bup, 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 bup me? That's exactly how I see this scene playing out in Mark chapter one. Why are you here, Jesus? Don't, don't destroy me. Bup, 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 bup. Enough. Enough. Jesus says to this evil spirit, that again has had his way for possibly 40 years with this man. You're done. It's over. Day after day, evil had been dictating this man's life. But that all changed the day Jesus came into his life. And this proves, us, proves to us that Jesus has the authority, the smicha, over any sort of evil, satanic, spiritual attack that might come against you. And that would hopefully come as really good news to many of us because I think that many of us are facing a pretty nasty battle right now, a pretty intense spiritual attack of our own. Now, we're, we're pretty enlightened, and we like to think that we're pretty educated, so we don't call it that. We don't like to admit to the presence of demons or, or evil. But let's just, let's just call a spade a spade. You know that lie that you keep believing that you are not good enough or that you're not pretty enough, that you're not talented enough? You know that thing you keep saying to yourself that you messed up too badly in the past, that you made too many mistakes in life to ever be loved again. That struggle you have with the bottle or the pills or the porn or that beautiful woman at work. You know the battle you face every day to not succumb to depression, to not give in to the sadness. That, that, that battle you have to forgive your abuser, to show grace to the person that you hate. Let's call a spade a spade. That is all a spiritual attack. That is evil trying to manifest itself in your life. And if you call it anything else, you're kind of placating it. You're playing with it. It's going to wreck you. It's a demon trying to take you out, your spirit and your soul. And I've got good news. Jesus has authority over any and every kind of attack that might be coming against you. He has ultimate authority. Jesus is the one who can step into your situation and say to that demonic presence in your life, bup, 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 bup. enough, enough with that, enough with the addiction, enough with the anger, enough with the abuse, enough. He's got unrivaled, unmatched, unequaled smicha. The text says that the man convulsed after Jesus kind of spoke life into him. And so a little side note here, don't be surprised if your transition from, from fighting evil to experiencing freedom from that evil, don't be surprised if that transition feels bad or wrecks you a little bit. The man convulsed. It's an awkward moment. So maybe your body or your spirit or your tears will flow. I don't know. But I do know this. Jesus has authority over evil. So I want you to ask yourself, what kind of demon are you facing right now? Is it, is it a literal attack? Is it symbolic? Is it both? Is it a physical attack? Is it a mental attack? Is it both? In what ways is evil trying to tear you apart? Is it lies? Is it lust? Is it fears? 
failures. Are some of you stuck between the what should have been and the what never will be? The what could have been and what I should be doing? Where are you? What is evil doing in your life? And I know this, that Jesus with one word can change things. One word. Enough. Enough with the fear. Enough with the shame. Enough with the hatred. Enough with the apathy. Enough. Another area where Jesus has ultimate authority is in the realm of physical ailments. So the text tells us that after he releases this man from a demon possession, that that they go to the house of Simon Peter. And when they're in the house, they learn that Simon's mother-in-law was suffering from a really high fever. It's kind of how I see the scene playing out. They walk into the room. They're kind of, you know, uh, chumming it up a little bit. The disciples are laughing. I'm sure one of the 12 makes an awkward mother-in-law joke because he just have to, right? I was going to share with you my top three, but then I decided against that. So someone makes a joke, ah, ha, ha, here we are, and then someone says, no, 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 this is serious. Your mother-in-law, 104. It's been that way for days. So as soon as Jesus hears about her illness, he runs into her room. He kneels by her bedside and he takes her by the hand. And he miraculously cures her of this fever. So much so that she stands up and like makes them all a sandwich in the next couple of minutes. Now, I don't know about you, but, but I hate when I have even a low-grade fever, let alone something 102, 103, 104. Anybody ever experienced that where you are wrapped up in as many blankets as you own or that, that Bed Bath & Beyond sells and you are still freezing? Or you're so hot like a sauna, right, and, and you're sitting outside in the cold? I mean, a fever can just wreck you so badly. And yet here, Jesus walks in and he heals the woman of the fever. He completely removes the illness that was paralyzing her and causing her pain. Now, we don't have time to talk about all that the Bible teaches on physical healings and miraculous medical cases. But this is one thing I know to be true, that Jesus has authority over any and every illness that might come against our body. So he has authority over every attack that might come against my spirit or my soul, but he also has authority over everything that might come against my body. In this story, a simple touch from the good teacher heals her. In other stories, Jesus uses a pool or some mud or even some spit. So here's a little word to the wise. Don't stop going to the doctor or taking your pills because Jesus might be using those things to heal you. But as followers of Christ, I want us to believe in the healing power of Christ. This text demands that we do. The Bible teaches that Jesus hasn't lost his smicha. He hasn't lost his power or authority. It says he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so his heart, his desire, his ability to heal our bodies is still there. It hasn't faded. It hasn't fizzled out. So I want you to pray. Pray for healing. Pray for Jesus to remove whatever physical limitation is holding you down or holding you back. Like the disciples, let Jesus know, hey, she's sick, he's sick, I'm sick. Can you please heal me? I don't care if it's stage four cancer or a canker sore. I don't care if it's something the doctors say they can't treat or something you can treat with a little Advil. Ask God to take away the illness. Ask God to heal you of whatever infirmity you might be experiencing. Now, hear me out. This is not a foolproof prayer. Peter's mother-in-law was miraculously healed. 
Mine was not. Years ago, my mother-in-law called us on the phone one day and said that she was going to the doctor because she had some, some weird pains in her back. Turned out it was stage four cancer. And for the next 16 months, she battled harder than I've ever seen anyone battle cancer. Chemo, radiation, I mean, it wrecked her. And over those 16 months, man, we pressed into the authority of Jesus. You have claim over cancer, Jesus. You could heal her of her cancer, so do it. We pressed into it. We asked for it. The elders anointed her with oil. We had friends from out of state come with prophetic messages. She will be healed this side of heaven. And you know what I did 16 months later after the diagnosis? I preached her funeral. One of the hardest days of my whole life. And when that happens to you, if that happens to you, if Jesus doesn't heal your body, if he doesn't heal the body of someone that you love more than any other, you have to know the sheer fact that he did it in the past must mean there's a reason he's not doing it in the present. Let me say that one more time. If and when your body or the body of someone you know is not healed, you have to know that the sheer fact that Jesus has done it in the past means there is a reason he is not doing it in the present. He has proven he has authority over illness, so there must be a reason he's not healing you. It's not because he's ignorant. It's not because he's incapable. It's not because he's uninformed. He must have a reason. In the Bible, one of the greatest teachers, evangelists, pastors, is a man named Paul. Many believe he had a really debilitating physical, like facial ailment of some kind, his eyes. And he prayed on multiple occasions throughout his testimony, throughout his story, throughout the scripture, that he would be healed. And what did Jesus say? The Lord said, no, I'm not going to heal you. I could, but I'm not going to because in your weakness, my perfection, my power is made complete. I could heal you, but I'm choosing not to because there's a reason why you need to be sick right now. I am a huge geek of The Chosen, which is this dramatic reinterpretation of what it was like to be a disciple. And there's a scene that I want to show you here for the next couple of minutes that depicts what we're talking about here better than I could ever put into words. One of the disciples, uh, James, little James, in fact, comes to Jesus and he has an ailment, a physical limitation of sorts. He has a limp. And he comes to Jesus because Jesus has actually imparted his shmicha onto the disciples. And now they can go out, and with their authority, they can go and heal other people. And little James says, why are you allowing me or asking me to go heal other people when you will not heal me? So watch this. Master. Little James, may I have a moment? Of course. I have. Forgive me, I'm uh, not always confident to speak. Slow to speak, it's a very good quality. <laughs> I wanted to ask you a question, please. You're sending us out with the ability to heal the sick and lame. Yes, that, that is what you said. 
Yes. So you're telling me that I have the ability to heal. <laughs> Forgive me, I just find that difficult to imagine with my condition, which you haven't healed. Do you want to be healed? Yes, of course, if, if that's possible. I think you've seen enough to know it's possible. Then why haven't you? Because I trust you. What? Little James. Precious little James. I need you to listen to me very carefully. Because what I'm going to say defines your whole life to this point and will define the rest of your life. Do you understand? In the Father's will, I could heal you. Right now. And you'd have a good story to tell, yes? Yes, that you do miracles. And that's a good story. But there are already dozens who can tell that story. And there will be hundreds more, even thousands. But think of the story that you have, especially in this journey to come, if I don't heal you. To know how to proclaim that you still praise God in spite of this. To know how to focus on all that matters, so much more than the body. To show people that you can be patient with your suffering here on earth because you know you'll spend eternity with no suffering. Not everyone can understand that. How many people do you think the Father and I trust this with? Hmm? Not many. But the others, there's so much more. So much more what? I don't know. Stronger? Better at this? James, I love you. But I don't want to hear that ever again. I know how easy it is to say the Song of David that I've fearfully and wonderfully made. But it doesn't make this any easier. And in this group, it doesn't make me feel like any less of a burden. A burden? First of all, it is far easier to deal with your slow walking than it is to deal with Simon's temper. Trust me. Are you fast? Do you look impressive when you walk? Maybe not. But these are things the father doesn't care about. You are going to do more for me than most people ever dream. So many people need healing in order to believe in me. Or they need healing because their hearts are so sick. That doesn't apply to you. And many are healed or not healed because the Father in Heaven has a plan for them which may be a mystery. And we remember what Job said. The Lord gives, 
and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. When you pass from this earth and you meet your Father in heaven, where Isaiah promises you will leap like a deer, your reward will be great. So hold on a little longer. And when you discover yourself finding true strength because of your weakness, and when you do great things in my name, in spite of this, the impact will last for generations. Do you understand? Thank you, Master. A man like you, healing others. Oh, what a sight. I can't wait to hear your stories when you return. Shalom, my son. Shalom. else's allergies just so bad this morning. I believe my Jesus has the authority to heal. And so I'm going to ask for it every time. And then I'm also going to allow him to use the ailment for his glory and for my good if that's what he chooses. But don't question his authority. Don't doubt it. The third and final thing as we wrap up this morning is the authority that Jesus proves over relational alienation. This is seen through the healing of the leper. Yes, this one also speaks to Jesus' ability to heal the body and what comes against us physically, but this story, this healing in Mark chapter 1 really speaks to the ability to bring people back together. See, it's so hard for us to fathom just how nasty, how destructive um, leprosy was back in the first century. There's just nothing like it in today's world. Right? We were nervous about COVID that kind of affected the internal, the respiratory system. Imagine if COVID caused there to be boils and blisters, caused your fingers to fall off. It would have been a whole different level of panic, right? That's what leprosy was. But in, additional, in addition to the physical torment that was leprosy was the relational torment that, that came along with it. See, the moment that you were diagnosed with leprosy, there was literally a banishment from the community. You had to immediately remove yourself. You couldn't even go back home to say goodbye to your loved ones or gather your belongings. You immediately had to go live outside the city gates in some sort of little shanty town. So imagine you are, you are diagnosed with a terminal disease and the doctor says, um, here's a bus ticket to Weed, New Mexico. I'm not sure what's worth, the, the illness or Weed, New Mexico. Sorry if you're from Weed, New Mexico. But you now have to live on the outskirts, far removed from anyone and everyone you've ever known and loved. You can't live with your family, you can't see your friends, and you can't go to church anymore. 
See, and as a leper, you had to remain 50 paces away from other people. So I counted this off during first service. It's 22 paces from here to the other side of the stage. So double that, add a little bit more, and that's as close as I could ever get to another human being. And if I ever stepped inside of those 50 paces, I had to scream out, unclean. I had to warn them to stay away. You talk about alienation. You talk about feeling isolated and alone. Lepers experience that more than anybody in human history. And more than just being separated from people, they felt this separation from God because everybody in society was saying, you have leprosy because you must have sinned in in these magnificent ways, and so now God is punishing you in these horrendous ways. And you couldn't do anything about it. You couldn't go to the temple for prayer. You couldn't ask for restoration. You couldn't come around anybody that might be able to solve the problem. You were utterly alone, and you felt like you were going to be that way for all of eternity. And here comes this leper in Mark chapter 1, and I love this guy because he breaks every rule that a leper is supposed to keep. Does he stay 50 paces away from Jesus? No, he draws in close and falls at his feet. And instead of screaming out unclean, what does he scream? Heal me. Help me. Jesus, you have the authority. If you are willing, he says, you can make me clean. It's such an amazing statement. There's such bold faith. If you're willing, you can do it. I know you can do it, but I'm not sure you're going to do it for me. It's also a statement of great doubt. I've seen you do miraculous things for others, but I don't think I'm deserving of those miracles. I've seen other people receive what only you as the Lord can give, but man, I messed up so badly and my sin is so great, maybe I'm not deserving of the same healing power. And the text says that as as he was saying this, Jesus becomes indignant. It's, It's a word for super angry, really upset. Why is he upset? He's not upset at the man. He's upset at what the man has had to go through, right? He's indignant at what sin has done to him, how Satan has alienated him from all of his loved ones. And then in one of the greatest moments in all of Scripture, Jesus touches and heals the man. Anybody else just want to binge watch Chosen with me today, possibly? There's a great scene where he heals a leper as well. And in each situation, he touches them. What are you not supposed to do with a leper? Touch them. It's highly contagious, skin to skin. But Jesus touches them. This man may not have been touched by another human being for 30, 40, 50 years, and he's touched by Jesus, and he's miraculously healed. He is set free from the disease, but more than that, he is free to go back home. And that's why Jesus, after he heals him, has all these kind of strange commands. Go show yourself to the priest and kind of jump through the hoops. Why would he have him do all those things? It doesn't make sense to us. But those were kind of the hoops he had to jump through to enter back into society. You are now free to go home. Make sure the priests know that. You're now free to be with your friends. Make sure the priests are aware of that. And you're now free to go back to the temple. Make sure the priests are aware of that. He reunited him with all the folks that he was alienated from. This text teaches us that Jesus has the authority to give us victory over relational alienation. And I think that's good news because as a pastor, I sit with people week after week after week who are at odds with family members. Maybe their entire family, for that matter. I sit with people whose marriages are on the brink, folks who haven't experienced love or any expression of intimacy in years and years and years. And I sit with people who say, man, I know God saves broken people, but I'm way too broken for him to save me. 
And so I know what relational alienation looks and feels like. And all of us do. We see it on a daily basis. Some of us even experience it ourselves. And if we need a victory in that regard, where do we go? Who has the smicha? Jesus. He has the authority to bring wrecked and ruined relationships back together, to redeem and repair any relationship that has been ruined. And I've seen it happen as well. I could tell you countless stories of marriages that were so terrible that after they really cried out to Jesus, and over the course of time, their marriage is now this beautiful depiction of what Jesus' love for the church looks like. I've seen families, prodigals, leave home and then come home and be welcomed back home. And now the home is never the same again. I've seen people who felt so far from God become pastors and ministers and missionaries. Because when grace grabbed a hold of them, they were never the same again. Do you believe this to be true? Does Jesus have the smicha? It's like, does he or does he not? This is where rubber meets the road for us. Do we believe in the authority of Jesus? And I believe with all of my heart that he can still do the things that he did in Mark chapter 1. I believe that he can help me win a victory over a spiritual attack that's coming against me. I believe he can give me a victory over a physical ailment that might be coming against me. And I believe Jesus can help me reconcile with others who might be coming against me. Do you believe that to be true? I want us to pray for just a few minutes over this. And as Jackson comes up back on the stage, and we're just going to enter into that song that he introduced, but also just a little bit of a, of a special moment to pray through these th three things. Uh, I just encourage you to pray with the people around you. Uh, if you want to come up forward and, and pray with me, I would absolutely love that and be so honored to pray for you in that regard. But which of these three is really on your heart this morning? Do you feel as if your spirit's coming under attack, that your body's coming under attack, or that your relationships are coming under attack? And if you can say yes, yes, and yes, then pray for all three. But spend some time with the people around you just praying over and for these things. And your prayer is a simple one. Jesus, would you prove your authority yet again in this area of my life? Would you come down and prove that you have ultimate authority over my spirit, my body, and my relationships. So let's do that now. Let's pray together. And if you need prayers, please come down to the front.
God, we come to you this morning believing in the authority of Jesus, believing that the smicha he had when he walked this earth, he still has today. Instead of crying out to other gods, other things, other people, we cry out to you. Would you demonstrate and prove your great authority over our spirits, those of us who are coming under an evil attack of some kind? Would you prove your great power and authority over our bodies as many of us are dealing with physical ailments, frailties? And would you prove your power and authority in our relationships as you reunite us with those that we've been estranged from? Make it so now. Come, Jesus, have your way in our lives and prove that your authority is still unequaled, unmatched, and unparalleled. In your great name we pray, amen. We're gonna continue in that prayer time as we come to the table this morning. And as we come down for communion, taking two little elements, a little piece of bread representing Jesus' body broken for us and a little cup of juice representing his blood poured out. You are welcome. Anyone is welcome. I don't care if this is your first day in church ever or you grew up in the church. You are all welcome to the table. And when you come, your simple prayer this morning is, Jesus, I believe in your authority. Would you prove and demonstrate it in my life? And then you ask him whatever specific area you need. Ask him. He's a good God. Ask him to heal, to help, to restore, to renew. Ask him to do what only he can do. Let's do that now as we go to the table.